You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh begins a new series on the Ten Commandments. Each week for the next ten weeks, we'll be looking at one of these commands. Today, we start with the command that we should have no other gods. As we listen, our prayer is that God will shape us and have his way in our hearts. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. Happy New Year. I hope that this new year is off to a great start for you and your family. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Exodus chapter 20? Uh, The three verses that were just greatly read for us today is the main part of our text, but honestly, we will only be there for a very short amount of time. And so, if you get to Exodus chapter 20, I want you to just jump back one chapter. Exodus 19 is is really where we're going to begin today. Uh, But as, as you are finding your way there, I do have to welcome you to the greatest time of the year. I know Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, uh, and Christmas officially ended yesterday. Do you guys realize that, right? Uh, Yesterday, January 6th, on your calendar every year, no matter what day it falls on, is the official end of Christmas. That's when you can officially take your Christmas tree and your Christmas lights down. Some of you are like, hey, we took that down on Christmas Day. Congratulations. But yesterday on your calendar is, is really a big Christian holiday that you have probably celebrated for a long time without even knowing what you were celebrating. Yesterday was the holiday of Epiphany, or maybe Theophany. Maybe, maybe you've heard it that way. But Epiphany is January 6th every single year, and it's the holiday on the Christian calendar that we commemorate the wise men coming to Jesus and giving him the three gifts. Now, I know historically the three wise men come and give gifts, but if you read the, the narrative in Scripture, um, we don't really know how many wise men there were. We just know how many gifts they gave. So the wise men come, and they give gifts to the king, and so we We have Epiphany, we have Theophany, but maybe the day that you know it best as is King's Day. Do you know how you have probably celebrated this without even knowing it? You know what yesterday was the official launch of? King cake season. Are you so excited? Because you've been celebrating the Lord Jesus' birth for years and you didn't even know it. Happy birthday, Jesus. We are so happy that you were born. Uh, and in that, so, so there, there is a part of this that we uh, celebrate not, not, only, not only King's Day, um, but even in the historical church calendar, truly. Uh, all of those things I've said are true. Everything is completely accurate all the way down to the king's cake. Uh, now, I don't know about the little plastic baby on the inside. That's up for interpretation, maybe in your different translations. But with that, it's also an opportunity for us to understand that it was uh, maybe a day that, that on the calendar is the day we celebrate that Jesus was baptized as well. But that's for another sermon for a whole nother day. With that, we are jumping in to a brand new sermon series today. It's a 10-week series on the Ten Commandments. You've seen maybe the, um, the, the, the logo around our church, the, the, the get you ready to, to hopefully hook you in because we know that you love graphic design just as much as everybody else. And maybe you look at it and you say, X. Does that mean we don't do the Ten Commandments? Is that what that means? No, well, X is the Roman numeral for for ten, and so that would be the the Ten Commandments. But then on the graphic, and I don't know if we even have that graphic ready to put up. I didn't ask them to, but maybe if they did, you'll see that there are scales in the graphic that we put up. That will become more in view towards the end of our sermon today. Uh, And those scales are, are vitally important, and you may feel the weight of those balances 
every time you enter God's house in his presence, or maybe every day you live life. But more to that in just a second. My hope for you, my prayer for you, as I've prayed throughout last year, beginning this year, and even today, is that this year, 2024, will be a year that God will continue to draw you nearer to himself, but also equipping you to send you further out than you have ever gone before. And I don't necessarily mean geographically, but I mean maybe out of uh, your comfort zone, the thing that you are most accustomed to, that God is going to use you this year in a way that you have never thought possible. And I believe that God is going to do that primarily through your reading and understanding of his word. That's how God reveals himself to us. That's how God shows us our mission that stays before us. That's how God keeps us on mission. And that's why the word is vitally important. And so even now, I'd love to share with you our preaching plan for 2024. And so today we kick off the Ten Commandments. That should take us all the way up to Easter. Easter then will transition into Esther, not Easter. So Easter will transition into Esther. Then we'll have summer in the Psalms. And then we'll have one week of the home series in August that we typically have. And then we are going to kind of settle into the Gospel of John. Um, we're, we're still up for debate on this, but maybe 50 weeks, maybe 70 weeks. We'll see. It'll be a lot of fun when we get there. You'll love it, I promise. It'll be absolutely great. But today, we are in the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20. And we always, particularly when we start a new book, but especially when we jump into the middle of a new book, uh, we want to hear the who, what, when, where, and why, okay? So, who? Who, who, are the, who are the factors? Who are the players here when we, we open God's Word today? Well, we are going to see God. Uh, the, the, the word used here in the Hebrew is Elohim. Uh, we, we see God and we see Israel. Uh, and this is going to be pretty unique because God is going to do the speaking today. Uh, particularly in Exodus chapter 20, but Moses is going to record it in the Pentateuch or, or the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. That is, that is Moses' writings. What is it? Well, these are the Ten Commandments, or maybe even better put, if you, read, you heard verse 1 read already, the Ten Words. The Ten Words that are going to, to do something, and more to that in a second, but when did this go down? Just so you can know in your mind, timeline, when the Ten Commandments were given. Uh, roughly, we believe, 1440 B.C. 1440 B.C., the Ten Commandments are given on Mount Sinai, which if you look up to the screens next to you, I want to give you a reference for where Mount Sinai is, a very, very real place, okay? So you see at the very top left of your screen, you see Egypt, uh, and particularly, you're going to see at the top of the word Egypt, right to the left of that, you're going to see Ramses, Okay? That, that's where we believe that, that God's people were enslaved for about 400 years, and then God delivers them, and then they go down and they cross a, a pretty significant sea uh, there. It, it's, it's the Red Sea, so they're going to cross there, and then at the very bottom, if so it's, it's kind of like an upside-down triangle, at the very bottom of that, um, Jebel Musa, you're going to see that place. That's the historic site for Mount Sinai. And that is going to be the place where God's people find themselves and they're going to hear from God. Now, you can take that graphic off the screen there. And in this, you are going to, to hear the ten words, the ten commandments over these next ten weeks that God has given his people an opportunity to be remade, 
God has given them an opportunity to be, to be redeemed and an active process of being redeemed. Now, I want, I want you to be clear on what has happened here. God's people were in Egypt, enslaved. Let's see Old Testament scholars in the room. How many years were they enslaved in Egypt? 400 years. Now, some of you may say, no, I read something different. There is debate over how long it was. Is it 400? Is it 430? Is it 212? We're going historic date. We're going to go 400 here. And so they're enslaved 400 years. So the reason that is important, more than likely, if we're looking at a biblical generation between 35 and 40 years old, that is 10 plus generations who have been enslaved. All right. They have been God's people. They were God's people before they went to Egypt, and they are God's people after they leave Egypt. But for 10 generations, for 400 years, all they know is Egyptian culture and the Egyptian way. The only thing they know is the Egyptian life, the Egyptian gods, the Egyptian practices, and the Egyptian values. And after 400 years, God rescues his people from Egyptian captivity, promises them a land that's better than they could have ever imagined or asked for, but before they go into the new land, Egypt has to come out. And these 10 words are going to be part of God remaking them. But before we jump into Exodus 20 and receiving the 10 commandments over the next 10 weeks, we really need to look at Exodus 19 to understand the backdrop of the giving of these words. So if you would with me, look at Exodus chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 1. On the third new moon... After the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the day that they came into the wilderness of Sinai. <laughs> That's a really wordy way of saying three months to the day that they left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, the word wilderness, for us, maybe connotes something, something different than actually was. For, for us, a wilderness would be maybe like a jungle scene with, with animals prowling around. Uh, wilderness here is just this idea that you are in the proximity of the mountain. So the mountain is going to be Mount Sinai, and, and there's not much there to be offered. Right? So, so not much by way of vegetation or life. They're just there, and they're here next to uh, this mountain. So verse 2, we continue on. They set out from Rephidim, and they came to the wilderness at Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, which is Mount Sinai, verse 3, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. All right. So uh, I know maybe, maybe the, the only couple of references we have to the Ten Commandments, at least how it went down, is maybe the, the, the Charleston Heston version of, of the Ten Commandments, maybe if you grew up with that, or, or maybe Prince of Egypt. So I don't know what generation you're in. Uh, but probably somewhere in between those two, that's where we get our understanding of, of this biblical narrative. If I could, if I could encourage you to trust what this book says more than what uh, an, an, an artistic uh, interpretation may, may have rendered to you. So Moses gets all the people to encamp around this mountain. This is the mountain of God. This is Mount Sinai. This is where they were supposed to go. Moses begins to go up to the mountain, and a voice begins to boom down from the mountain to speak to Moses. And what he says, this, this voice, what God's voice says to Moses, Moses, I want you to tell the people of God, I want you to tell my people, all of Israel, I want them to hear this. I'm the one who brought them out of Egypt, and I want them to remember what happened. 
I'm the one who brought them to me. I want you to remember what happened over the last three months, how you were there, but now you're here and all that took place. I want you to remember that. Now, I don't believe it's because that God is saying this because that the people had forgotten. Now, they're only three months removed from everything that they just witnessed in Egypt and in the Red Sea. God is not reminding them because they had forgotten. He's actually setting the stage for an official agreement between himself and the people. Do you know what an official agreement between God and God's people is called? It starts with a C. It's a covenant. And so this covenant, the covenant at Mount Sinai, God is beginning to set the stage for that official agreement. We'll see more of that in just a few minutes when we get to to chapter 20. But the terms and the purpose of this agreement are spelled out in the next couple of verses in chapter 19. And to help us better understand everything we're going to do for the next 10 weeks, okay, I cannot overstate this enough. Everything that we do the next 10 weeks, all 10 words, all 10 commandments, should be viewed in verses through the lens of verse 5 and 6, okay? So I want you to write this down. I want you to make a note. I want you to come back and revisit this. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and verse 6. This is the lens to which we are to view the 10 commandments and, hear me out, the 613 commandments that will follow the 10, okay? This is the lens that we look. Why did God bring them out of Egypt? Why did God bring them for those three months to the mountain? And why is God now going to give them the law? Here's the reason. Verse five. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured people among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall, to, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, this may seem elementary. Now, I want you to, to hear it, though. There are two reasons God gives the commands then and two reasons that we should still understand and keep the commands today. The two reasons are, here's, we understand, number one, that this covenant, this this agreement is very conditional. We talk a lot about the unconditional love of God, that God is going to love us no matter what, that God is going to love us no matter what we've done or, or who we've done it with or where we're going to go. Understand that covenants, particularly Old Testament, were incredibly conditional. You'll notice that by language like, if then, or if and then you shall. Okay, so this is incredibly conditional. Here is the conditional statement. If you will obey my voice and keep my my agreement, my covenant, then you will be my treasured possessions among all peoples. Here's the implication. If you don't, what? You won't. Well, Josh, that's not encouraging. Why would you bring that up today? First thing, I want you to hold on to the weight of what you feel and what you are thinking right now, and we're going to come back to it at the end of our time today, okay? So if, if that is uh, the terms of the agreement, particularly just kind of the, the broad stroke, I want us to look at the purpose, okay? Here's the purpose. If we, if we agree to this agreement, if, if we sign on the dotted line, as it were, here's what will happen. You will be to, to me and for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right, so there's a, a few things we need to explain here. What do priests do? Now, in your mind, I don't know where you come from, your church background, 
don't think of any kind of priest or preacher today. Okay? Think Old Testament specifically. Now, I'm not saying that, that what you see in a pastor or a, uh, someone who would be called a priest today should be much different than this. I think we should be pretty close to this. But particularly in the Old Testament, priests were God's representatives to the world. If people wanted to know what God was like, the, 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 the best that they could do was go to the priest and hopefully, and how they lived and how they act and how they operated and how they spoke, should be able to give a clearer indication than anything else. That's why the priesthood was so important. But what we see here is God has redeemed an entire people in in Israel from Egypt, out of slavery, millions and millions of people, bring them to Sinai and say, look, I'm going to covenant with you. I have rescued you so that you can go into the world and you can be my priest and you can be a holy nation. So we, we have a definition of what, an elementary definition of what priests are. They, are. they are God's representation to the world. What is something that's holy? Holy is to be set apart. Something that is to be completely different than everything else. So we have this idea that God has rescued, pulled God's people out from captivity, from slavery, is now going to get Egypt out of them through this wilderness wandering. They don't know how long it's going to take. It's going to take them an awful long time, particularly after this moment but to send them back out to be a picture of God to everybody they meet, but also to be nothing like the people they come in contact with. They are to be priests, and they are to be holy, completely set apart from everyone and everything else. Now, when when we look at this, we have to, again, understand, have in our mind, all these people have ever known, and particularly for generations now, is Egypt. But going forward, they are called to be nothing like Egypt. They will soon enter foreign lands that they have never encountered before, people that they have never encountered before, but they are to be nothing like the people or the practices of those foreign lands. You could almost feel the tension for them. Wait, if, if, if all they have ever known is Egypt, how are they ever to know something different? If If they're to go into these new lands, how can they make sure that they remain set apart as they are going into the promised land, place to place, city by city? How do they know that they stay on course? Wouldn't it be incredibly helpful if God gave them a list of directives to guide them? That brings us to the Ten Commandments. That brings us to the very nature of God giving the law in the first place. The reason for the Ten Commandments is so God's people could live out the priesthood calling and the holy nation calling. Okay, church, now we're going to get to the application pretty quickly right now. That's still true for us today. God's law and God's standard isn't just something that is to be set apart because God's seeing if we can jump and seeing how high we can jump. There's purpose in every law that he's given to his people, and the hope would be that we would be good and faithful representatives, and we would be a holy nation set apart from anyone and everything that we see. Uh, Maybe you heard it this way in the New Testament. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. This is going to help. It's going to go a long way of guiding God's people in 1440 B.C. and in 2024 A.D., This set of laws or commands or words are going to keep God's people from going back to Egypt. 
This, this set of commands are also going to help them stay on track as they move forward. I want you to read with me verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 7, 8, and 9. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and sat before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said. So, so they heard what the Lord had said. Here's their answer. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So, so they sign on the dotted line. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, all right, listen here. Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Now, at this point, God is speaking to Moses on the mountain, but the people are kind of set up, kind of in a, a parameter around the mountain. They can't go up because Moses had warned them. And so now God says, but I'm about to show up in a way that they're never going to doubt what I'm about to tell you. And so we're not going to go into it because there's a lot left to, to go through today, and we're actually in the Ten Commandments, not Exodus 19. But if you were to go back and continue to read Exodus 19, there's some pretty wild things that take place. There, there's some moments that, that when God speaks, he speaks in thunder and lightning and, and everything is shaking and God's voice is booming to the point where in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21, I will read that for you. It says this, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off. Listen to verse 19. And said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. What? How often have we said, God, I want to hear your voice. God, I want to hear you. This is the only time in recorded Bible history in the Old Testament that God is going to speak to his people and they say, no, please, no more. I don't know what his voice sounds like, but I'm guessing it doesn't sound like Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm guessing it doesn't sound like James Earl Jones or maybe even Morgan Freeman. Whatever this is had to be a pretty terrifying thing. Now, uh, to, to be fair, I don't think it was the, the loudness of his voice or actually the thunder or lightning that scared God's people. I believe as I read this and I understand what God is going to unfold in these 10 words that we are going to hear of these 10 weeks, there is going to be an eternal weight that they felt with every statement he made, immediately they realized, I do not match up. And so they are in the presence of holy God, and the only thing that they can do is the same thing that we've been doing from Genesis 3 when God shows up, and that's to hide. So they say, Moses, you speak to, you tell us what God said, but please don't let him speak to us again. So what did they hear? Open your Bibles to Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. This is that beginning of the covenant. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, that's why it's called the 10 words. God spoke all these words, saying, this, this, Statement is huge, just in verse 1. This is one of the very few moments in recorded history of the Bible that God actually audibly and directionally speaks to his people. It's probably there, the reason for the response that we just talked about. And God says, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. 
So this is, this is the covenant set up. This is, this is where God sets up the official covenant between them. So number one, who is making the covenant? Well, it says, I am the Lord your God. God is the one making the agreement. He is the only one that has the right and the privilege to do so. Second question we may ask, why does he get to make the agreement? Well, because he brought them out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Because he rescued them out of slavery and he promised them a brand new life. The next part is the terms of the agreement. This is the very specific nature, and these are those ten words, and we're going to focus on just one. The things that they are to do as God's people and not to do, to be a good and faithful witness to the world that they are going to be called towards. They're going to be called to be a a kingdom of priests. They're called to be a holy nation. And the first word or the first command is this, you shall have no other gods before me. All right, for clarity's sake, and I know there's, there's a lot of um, analytical minds in this room particularly, but especially when we read God's Word, why wouldn't we take it uh, at face value? Because if you take this, this at face value, and I, I know people who have, there are people who would say, well, he's not saying that we can't have other gods. He's just saying we can't have other gods before him. That's not what he is saying. He's not saying that you can have ten gods as long as he's number one. What he is saying is is he is the only one and true God. Uh, To be clear, they've just come out of Egypt. Egypt is filled. They're they're polytheistic, right? They're they're filled with, with many gods, little g. And Elohim here is saying no other gods, no other worship. If you want to be a a kingdom of priests, you can't go back to the old. You want to be a holy nation when you go to these places? You can't adapt and adopt the, the conditions and the worship practices of the people that you encounter. For I am the one who showed up, and I am the one who brought you out, and I'm the one who will sustain you. There's no other God but me. I know we hear that today, and we say, well, Josh, that makes complete sense. Why would they have a hard time with that? As God would continue, like there's this idea that he would say, I'm the only one. I created you. I had mercy on you when you rebelled against me. I heard your cry from help from Egypt. I rescued you, and I'm literally speaking to you now with my voice, is what God would be saying to them. This isn't the sermon series for this, and we don't have the time. But if you were to go back and you were to study the plagues of Egypt... That's Exodus chapter 7 through Exodus chapter 11. So you write that down and go back and look at it. You will see that each plague was not a random happening. But each plague was an offense to whatever Egyptian god that they held most dear to. And so when you look at each time a plague happened, it would be a fight against Elohim and their god, and God would always win. No other God was real. No other God stood a chance. And so we have ten moments, really really nine moments in in those plagues, and then all of a sudden we get to the very last one. And God had hardened Pharaoh's heart so much it took the very last one of killing the firstborn of all of Egypt. Unless you had the lamb's blood smeared over your door. And of course we know that is beautiful foreshadowing of, of what is to come even in the tragedy that was there. 
The, region, the reason that Egypt was so terrified was because God, in His infinite wisdom, confronted and destroyed their gods right before their eyes with each plague. With all of Israel knowing that Yahweh, Elohim, is the one true God, with them seeing all that had happened in Egypt, with them seeing and hearing the command of God from God's voice Himself, they still needed the command promise. The same way, church, that we need it today. As God's people desiring to be kingdom priestly and holy nation, we need this promise. Because we cannot have any other gods steal our worship that belongs to Him. And so now as we move to the end of our time today, I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And as always, if you're new with us today, if you're starting in, this is the time where you don't pack up. This is where you want to kind of, kind of hone in because this is where I want to encourage you here. All right? The law includes ten commands, but they were meant to be meditated upon. It's not something that they would look at and say, well, here's the ten. I got the ten. Good job. I won't go back and, and look at it again. It is something that, that God's people would consider every day. A law that they would look at and they would think about and they would meditate upon. So each week when we come to the close of our sermon, we're going to take time to consider and meditate on each one of these commands. We are called, church, to be a kingdom of priests. We are called to be a holy nation. We are called to go forward into the world to have nothing to do or look nothing like the world, always giving good and faithful witness of our Father in heaven and His kingdom that's coming. So today we start with the first word, the first commandment. You will have no other gods before me. And so here's our setting. We know that God has delivered us from Egypt. We know that He's delivered us from our past. Things that we were enslaved to across this room, just to make sure we all understand we're all in the same boat. We all have a past, and if you're a believer, God rescued you from that and continues to sustain you in that rescuing. So just so we are all clear, has anybody experienced God rescue them from something in their life? I just want us to see, just, just look around, see all the hands that are here, okay? So, so we've all experienced, like you would say, Josh, I may not know all the books of the Bible, and I may not know this, this tenet of theology, but I can tell you, I was here, but now I'm here, and the only explanation is Jesus. That's the explanation we have, and we should give him praise for that, right? But why is it that we tend to go back to the thing he rescued us from and still love it? I'm not going to make you raise your hand for that but I guarantee you it'd be an equal number. The thing that God rescued us from, we say praise his name. You broke that bondage, you broke that chain, but it given us the right circumstance and situations, our heart longs for where God rescued us from. Why? Because our heart is still connected to that thing. Maybe, maybe that's not all. We also know that God has called us to move forward into places and spaces that we have never experienced before. Praise God for that. But as we've done that, what are the things that we've picked up that we shouldn't have? What, what, are, what are the things that, that they don't add value to the kingdom? 
They don't add value to your life as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, yet we still pick them up, we still love them, we still cherish them. No other gods. How can we know? How can we know where we are and what we're dealing with? Deuteronomy 6, and part of the Shema would say this, that you are to worship the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, if we use that as a test, if the first commandment is no other gods, what are the things in your life that consume your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Is there anything in our life right now that is ruling our heart? Is there anything in our life right now that is ruling our soul, our mind, or our strength? No doubt the answer is yes. What we're sure to find with all 10 of these commandments and the following 613 laws is that we will fail at each and every one of them. Not only to the 10 commandments are they to to serve as helpful words and continue to call us out from where we were and help us navigate where God is calling us towards, but they are also a set of scales that are 100% accurate. Scales that will always show that God requires perfection and we can never meet it. No matter what we put in our life, it's never going to be heavy enough to be equal to the glory of God. So the scales remain unbalanced. So Josh, never? Like like there's never a moment where he even gets close? No. Well, that's not encouraging. Why? If if it's never, then why would we even try? Great question. Because we're God's people. We are whom God has chosen to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what do we do? God wants us. God requires us to do something that we can't. How do we handle the tension there? Well, I know that... We have just covered this book in an exhaustive nature, but I would love for you to open up quickly to Romans chapter 7. I know you have it memorized by now. Romans 7. We will end our time today with the words of the Apostle Paul. Romans 7, verse 15 and following. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody resonate with that? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I know a lot of us may feel that way. It may feel like, look, I, this, this is so, we're, we're only in week one and this feels, this feels too burdensome already. Just, just hang in there. 
Verse 21 of Romans chapter 7. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I feel every bit of that. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law that is in my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, here's our hope. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we come to the end of each of these commands and the 613 other laws in the Scripture, and anytime you see anything tied to a law in Scripture, our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ our Lord. I want us to be aware of that. For God's people, they, they felt the burden, burden of the law. When we go back to the Old Testament, they felt it every bit, and they would say, God, when, when will you come? And so when Jesus shows up, there were people who, who held to the law, said, Jesus, you're finally coming to do away with the law. Thank you. And he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. He said, I came to what? To fulfill the law. And so in all the things that we couldn't do, Jesus did. And so our hope now isn't in a law for salvation. Our hope is in Christ. And so as we move forward to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, we don't do so saying, look what I've done and look what I've not done. We say, look what he has done. Does that absolve the law for us? Absolutely not. There can be no other gods before him. But the only way that we will stay true to that is through the power of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to our time of commitment this morning, I ask you to consider, because you have the power of Christ in you that dwells in you, what are the things that are in your life that shouldn't be? Today's the day. They've got to go. The first step of that is repentance. It's where we say to the Lord, Lord, I give you it all. You know the struggle that I have. You know that you've rescued me from this probably 12 times. But Lord, I ask and I give it to you again. I surrender it to you today. No other gods. Church, would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be in your word today, to be in the sermon series. Lord, I can't imagine what Israel must have felt after 400 years of freedom. And now they, they stand at this mountain and they're absolutely blown away by what they're seeing and, and hearing and experiencing. And they hear these words. And all of a sudden they feel so weighty. Lord, I thank you that we, selfishly, I don't know what adjective to use, the God I thank you I live on this side of the cross. I thank you, Lord, Jesus, for being the fulfillment of this law. That now you give us the power that we need to be faithful to it. But in every time we fail, you are faithful to pick us back up. And so this morning, no doubt, across this room, every soul here, we deal with this first command, no other gods. Show us, Holy Spirit, what are the things that are consuming our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Help us to repent of them.
that we may be a good and faithful witness and a holy nation to the world that's desperate to hear of God's goodness. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?